When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply train situation, how we got here and where we're going. So some history. I mean, I would date it back uh, not so much to 1997 NATO expansion or even 1990-91 when there was, was, you know, the view that Gorbachev, then the Soviet leader, was betrayed because there was NATO expansion um, beyond one inch eastward out of Germany. But um, I think 2007 was important when Putin spoke at the Munich Security Conference and spoke at the height of the Iraq War and said this is no longer a unipolar world. And I think for many American policymakers in the establishment, this was a shock because Russia had long been on its knees, certainly during the 90s when Yeltsin was leader. And so Russia was back. And what did that mean? The next year, George W. Bush's administration moved up you know, expansion to Ukraine and Georgia, and I think that was a pivotal moment. The uh, epicenter of the Cold War, new or old, had moved from Berlin to the borders of Russia in the last years, and I think that needs to be understood. You can understand, but I think you still – it's important that I oppose the Iraq War. I oppose the illegal invasion of Ukraine, and I think it has been brutally carried out, but there is a history – um, that has to be understood. And Ukraine, in so many ways, and I say this without uh, in any way um, how to put it, Ukraine is an independent, sovereign country, but it has also been in a civil war over these last years. And the eastern part of Ukraine, the Donbass, has been um, Russian-speaking, more allied with Russia, uh, which didn't mean that Russian fighters should be coming in. But there has been... You know, 14,000, 15,000 casualties in the East, Ukrainians, and those committed by former Ukraine President Poroshenko and to an extent Zelensky with anti-terrorism forces. Anyway, there's a long history here that predates. I will say people I work with, like Ambassador Matlock, who has studied Reagan's ambassador of the Soviet Union, studied Russia for more than 60 years. People were in shock the night of the Russian invasion. They did think that the troops, Russian troops, were there for leverage, for bluffing, maybe move in to the east slightly. But now you're in a position where it's really all-out war, and how we stop it is so critical. I think today was an important day. We can talk about Zelensky, but also that negotiations seem to be underway. And there are parameters for a negotiated settlement. So I think that's critical. I think that diplomacy, the ceasefire, ceasefire just for human costs, for the humanitarian costs, so critical, not to reward Russia, but to assist the Ukrainian people at this stage with reconstruction and finding a way to an independent sovereign country through diplomacy. Now, if you look at the framework for an agreement that uh, Putin and the Russians have laid out, I mean, it looks very similar to the the Minsk Accords that uh, would have given Russia control of Crimea. It would have had the two Donbass republics be independent and sort of Russian-leaning client states, and it would have had Ukraine wanting to be a part of NATO. Now, I've said a couple of times since we've known about this, that's probably where we're going to end up anyway. Uh, Mm -hmm. Doesn't it make sense to kind of 
get there now through diplomacy rather than see a lot of people lose their lives on both sides and a lot of Ukrainians lose their homes. And I've been pushed back on that issue by a lot of listeners who say that by doing that, by giving Putin exactly what he says he wants after he invades a sovereign country, it's rewarding uh, an authoritarian dictator who has no respect for international law. How do you uh, deal with a question like that, Katrina? You know, it's a very important question, but I do believe that um, we're looking at two nuclear armed powers. And I don't, you know, there are new concepts of warfare. I don't, you know, I'm sure you followed this, but both on the U.S. and Russian side, this idea that if conventional weapons are not, quote, working, there is an escalatory theory toward tactical whatever nuclear weapons. I um no one knows what Putin thinks, and I I think all of that talk is not helpful. But I, I do think the Crimea, the um, Minsk Accords, which have been in place since 2015, and were supported by the UN and the EU, endorsed by, have a real um, force to them. And I think at this stage, you know, do we? Well, this may change, but we're not going to send in men and women. We are going to send in troops with this, uh, weapons, 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 lots of money today, this week have been for weapons. The moral calculus there is painful to look at Ukrainians fighting Ukrainians and their country being no longer maybe bombed by the barbaric Russian forces, but by their own, you know, their own battle in the country. And so I think to continue to equip with weapons may well lead to a blunder even more dangerous. And I think Crimea is out of play, but the importance of independent, sovereign Ukraine, independent, sovereign Ukraine, boundaries enforced, a neutral country as Sweden or Austria with a healthy possibility of a democracy and a market economy, I think is important. And I think is you're right when you said you spoke of what may now be the outcome with some changes which could have avoided this. I don't believe this is the appeasement moment. I think it's a combination of World War One and World War Two, and there's some misfiring history lessons being lifted up. But it's very much like a World War One, too, in the battles, the street battles, the trenches. And World War Two, not even that, because there were no nuclear forces. I think that really has to be at the front of our mind and not dismissed as a talking point, a Russian talking point. It's a reality which many experts are very deeply worried about, a miscalculation, a blunder. What if Russia goes into Poland, which is a horrific idea. I think they were testing a few days ago. But you could see NATO invoke charter, the charter Article 5. They're not going to do that now. There's more sense of giving weapons, 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 so Ukrainians fight each other. Now, maybe one doesn't deny Ukrainian uh you know, the the desire, but I think it's an immoral calculus. On Wednesday morning, uh, President Zelensky spoke to Congress. He er, invoked September 11th. He invoked Pearl Harbor. He invoked Martin Luther King, a whole bunch of American icons to get uh, the U.S. to try and do more. What did you think of Zelensky's remarks? Well, he's risen as a hero in this country and in his country and in other places. He's an interesting figure. He came in uh, after the chocolate oligarch Poroshenko as the anti-corruption fighter. And that hasn't gone that well, but it's, you know, he's he's stood up. He's become the Churchill of Ukraine. Um, I think his speech was masterful, pulling on every 
you know, string as well as the video he showed. But in the end, what he asked for was more military equipment, including, though this may change, the idea of a no-fly zone over Ukraine, which is a military solution or not solution to the problem, more weapons. Um, and the jets may well come. Uh, I think the no-fly zone has been uh, rejected pretty heartily. Uh, so I, I think um, he spoke masterfully, but I think at the same time, Frank, he's also gesturing, as he has over these last weeks, that he's ready for a compromise. He's ready to postpone or not show interest in NATO expansion. So there are different signals being given. But I think uh, he's one of the very few foreign leaders who's spoken in, though it wasn't in a uh, joint session, but it was to the entire Congress, which is an important measure of where he stands in the view of our political figures. I think the money being thrown, I don't, you know, it's it's anything except sending American men and women or other NATO forces into Ukraine. And so the idea of just having exited Afghanistan and all the weapons that are left there, you want to assist the Ukrainians, but is a way to find an independent and sovereign state at this point more urgent than more weapons? Mm -hmm. uh, you, you alluded to the issue of the uh, of Poland and the Polish jets. Uh, a yes. lot of people say, even folks that aren't in favor of setting up a no-fly zone, that we should help facilitate the transfer of these uh, Polish jets to the Ukrainian military so that they have a, a, fighting, a, ch a fighting chance against the Russians and continuing this resistance. What do you think about that idea of uh, helping facilitate this jet transfer from Poland? Well, there are clearly issues with it because I think the American the government has worried that in doing so it might uh, trigger um, more fighting with the Russians. And I, I think that is a concern with the no-fly zone, et cetera, but that they would be breaching some uh, boundary. I think to get more jets in there, you're going to have an even more brutal, bloody war. You, it's painful to watch a people be attacked. But is the answer now to find a way to dial down, to build, rebuild the country? I mean, the Russians and their oligarchs should rebuild this country. And, you know, otherwise you're going to have displacement, as we've seen, out of Syria, millions of people, out of Iraq. We need, you know, to remember those. And the mm -hmm. millions of people that could come out of Ukraine, that could displace and destabilize Europe in a way that we've always worried Putin had as his goal. So I, I just think adding more weapons will prolong. There is a desire because it's to take vengeance, but I, I think it's, it's often so hard to talk against, but it's going to lead to more bloodshed, not more resolution of a horrific conflict. Sure. Uh, we're talking with Katrina Vanden Heuvel. She is the powerhouse yeah. behind the nation. And yeah, Russia uh, it, should, but I don't know if I'm that, but Russia should must withdraw its troops. I mean, there are parameters to a diplomacy that is not soft. We've forgotten the art of diplomacy. I think there's persistent, clear, tough diplomacy that, you know, you, you, Russia withdraws its troops, commits to respecting the sovereignty of Ukraine. And I'm not naive. It will take international commitment. But there seems to be a great international commitment to, you know, NATO. So there should be a collateral commitment to enforcing these rules. 
It was right. reported. Uh, no, that's okay. It was reported on uh, on Wednesday that uh, that there was this secret CIA training program in Ukraine uh, going back, possibly as far back as 2014, to help Kiev prepare for a Russian invasion. Now, I first saw it on Yahoo, and that mm-hmm. link uh, appears to be down. So I don't know if they're taking back the oh, story. I or, read it. Uh, so I give read me it about t- an hour ago. So tell us about it. Tell us about what uh, well, what this story surprising. reported. What's not surprising is that uh, before this war started, the United States had shipped in close to $3 billion of weapons. We're putting in, I think, a billion this week. But if you have weapons, it's just common sense. You know, you need to have trainers. And now it's not necessarily CIA trainers, but they may be the most easily concealed. The danger there is always you get U.S. advisors, which may be in the who may be in the country. We don't know if they're on the front lines and get injured or killed. That's a real danger. Um, but I think I'm not shocked. I think that there have been there's been a lot going on in Ukraine since 2014, end of 2013. I mean, don't forget Victoria Newland. She didn't. You know, I I think there was a synergy between those protesting in Ma- in Ma- Maidan. Not all of whom were, though many were, young people seeking an end to corruption and wanting democracy. But there were also snipers, not clear uh, who sent them, maybe the extreme right, right-wing nationalists. But Victoria Nuland very clearly said on her um, call that may have been taped by Russia, but a call with the ambassador to Ukraine from the United States, we're going to decide. I won't use bad language on this call, but, you know, screw the EU. We want yats. So there's been complicity involvement, and I think that has to be understood against the backdrop of this horrific war. It does not uh, condone or permit an illegal war, uh, which we've also paid it in the United States. But there's an awareness when you read a story like you did today and I did before it was taken down. I didn't know that Yahoo, that uh, there has been a history, and history matters. That's for sure. Now, when I've tried to talk about the context of the various things, the Washington provocations of Moscow, the uh, items like NATO expansion, the historical ties that Crimea has had to Russia, and uh, the historical reasons that Russia may have to worry about an invasion coming from a uh, the direction that Ukraine lies, I am frequently accused of being a, a Kremlin a stooge yeah. or a Putin apologist. Now, um, why do you think it's so important for people to understand context to what's happening in world affairs like this? Well, there's the classic, if you don't understand the past, you're doomed to repeat in the future. And that is a cycle of warfare that could be repeated. I think history matters. It matters how conflicts end. We learn from that. And I think you also better understand the uh, hostility the anger that is animating, fueling this war. I think there's a real danger in this country and other countries when people try to uh, defame and smear those who ask questions. I saw, we saw this just a few weeks ago. Uh, there's a very, you know, he's a good journalist, I think, from the AP, Matt Lee. I think it's mm-hmm. the AP journalist who asked the spokesperson in the Defense Department, you know, where's can you show us some evidence for these intelligence reports, which were alleging, you know, uh, this and that. And um, 
the defense folks, the defense department spokesman said you're parroting Russian talking points. Right. I mean, that's that's really dangerous because, you know, I remember the press conferences before we went into Iraq. And first of all, there were no tough questions. And if there are tough questions and they get squelched by def- defamation, it's very unhealthy for a democracy, uh, which, you know, governments often lie. I'm not, you know, not, not just our government. Russia's a master. Often in times of war, the fog of war is masterfully presented through lies. And that's a real danger, and it requires a journalism that demands accountability. I speak as a journalist, as an editor of a publication which has been called names. And, you know, Steve Cohen was called names. He, of course, had a great wealth, decades of study, of uh, travel to Russia, of working with Russians, dissidents across the spectrum. So he wasn't phased, but he always worried about a younger generation of scholars, which he was, as to how they would navigate a landscape which treated those who raised questions or did interesting work as, you know, apologists. Very unhealthy for true democracy. Well, that's for sure. And in the media, with the exception of publications like The Nation, uh, with the exception of a couple of cable news commentators, really maybe just one, uh, Tucker Carlson on Fox News, a few columnists on both the right and the left, the voices urging a diplomatic solution and the voices for detente seem not to be given anywhere close to equal footing as the voices that are urging getting tough with Russia or uh, focusing on the military strategy. Do you think the me- the media, the, the American media, by and large, has sort of failed in its responsibility to present both sides of this issue? I think that uh, you had in the 1970s in this country, you had a strong detente, as they called it, lobby. You, for example, on NATO expansion, there was a vigorous debate in Senators Bradley, Paul Nitza, others across the board protested NATO expansion. Today, I think there's a fusion between the political establishment in the D.C. blob, for example, and media. And there's a kind of testing of the parameters of what's possible to say. However, I I, uh, joined the board of the Quincy Institute, which founded two years ago. It's a transpartisan, as I call it, group. Andrew Basevich is the head of it. But it features, you know, people who believe that you do best, it's not isolationist, to rebuild your own home. And as you know, it's named Quincy, John Quincy Adams, not go out in search of demons. Uh, though one Monsters needs to engage to in treaties. Yeah, treaties, they're supportive of the Iran Treaty, of the climate. But I just think that is, a, uh, it's a part of American foreign policy and policy that has been kind of shunted aside because you have neocons and neoliberal interventionists. And I think that's what's represented in the Biden administration. And I think we do be we'd be wise to expand the parameters of how we talk about foreign policy, especially you may disagree at a moment of existential climate crisis, Mm. global inequality of pandemic beyond just the military frame, which I think we fall into and the media does, too, to a large extent. What is your view of the president's decision, President Biden's decision to increase sanctions on Russia in general and the decision to prohibit imports of oil and gas from Russia? Well, on the latter piece of it, Europe is going to be much more affected. We're not as uh, tied. But I mean, we may disagree, but I think we would be in a better place if we had truly moved on a big green jobs initiative and kind of moved on renewable investment, retrofitting, energy efficiency, but we're not. We're tied. 
And um, there's fear, obviously, the gas prices of a recession of impact on the global economy. Uh, but I think sanctions are overused. The danger is there hasn't been much thinking about what are the alternatives to military action, and sanctions are reached for very quickly. I think the danger in Russia, as it is in other key places, is that ordinary people often get hurt because of different countries, and that can turn people away from, say, America, which they know is sanctioning them. But um, it's a larger problem, but I do think it's rare that it has impacted the ones who need to be impacted. This may be a squeeze which has we've never seen, but it you know is it aimed at regime change? Regime change is often very tough to, and I mean I I don't support regime change because I think when you have people from other countries ousting a leader, which may happen, it's not sustainable for long. But in this case, there has been talk by people who follow Russia of perhaps the oligarchs who don't really have political power fusing with the what they call the Silaviki, that like security internet intelligence forces around Putin because they're so angry at a miscalculation, which it seems it was immoral, illegal, but a miscalculation that maybe Ukrainians were going to rise up, for example, in the east to support Russia, which clearly has not. We've seen a a whole bunch of multinational businesses pull out of Russia, essentially make Russia a a pariah, McDonald's, Starbucks. It's a shorter list of companies that are still willing to do business in Russia than have uh, than have pulled out. Do you think that's an effective way about bringing back a change, uh, bring about a change in Russian policy is having private businesses pull out of Russia? Well, I mean, you know, the corporate morality here is suspect when you look at some of these places and what they do with wages, living wages in this country. I don't think that has as much impact. Or doing business in countries like China, which is not exactly. No, right, or Saudi Arabia. Well, (laughs) Saudi, you know, there's a lot of wooing. I mean, I think the sanctions, over-sanctioning, as we talked about, dangerous. But, and China, making China and Russia the two main Folk, folk, focal points of our enmity, as is stated in the national security doctrine of a few years ago. But, you know, Biden and team are off in Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Venezuela, which, you know, is kind of playing it all ways. But I don't the, the corporate. Uh, I mean, I was there when when McDonald's first opened decades ago and it was exciting. But, you know, part of what the sanctions in these last years have done in Russia is forced them to uh rebuild domestic industries, including food and other things. So we'll see. Sanctions need to be thought hard about because – but I think all of these – you know, the weapons piece is just – I also – you know, listen, we want to help the Ukrainians. But think – I'm just thinking the budget of the National Health Institute I think is – I think is maybe a billion. A billion was just – there has to be – anyway, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to make sense of a situation that seems senseless, That you know, and the brutality is um, very – you know, our TV, you talked about media. The media, if it showed all the wars the way it's showing Ukraine, which I think is commendable, but we've seen war as drone warfare in these last years. We haven't seen the brutality 
as clearly in Iraq. Uh, and I must have missed a lot of the coverage of the Yemen war on our uh, television sets as we, well. And I don't want to say that, you know, they shouldn't show this because they didn't show that. But let's have a different framework moving sure. forward, because I think too many people are numb to nuclear threats or war because it's become a video game for many. Yeah, that uh, that's for sure. All right. You've been very generous with your time. Before I let Thank you go, you. though, I, I have to ask you two quick questions. One Please. has to do with uh, what the Bayonne mayor did this week and taking Uh-oh. Vladimir Putin's name off of uh, a war memorial or a, a, a memorial to the September 11th families in Bayonne, New Jersey. They left the memorial up, but they uh, covered Vladimir Putin's name. Do you think what do you think of that sort of uh, that's that sort of conduct where you um Essentially, to me, it it almost is Stalinist. It's almost like uh, taking people out of uh, the Soviet the Politburo photos when they fall out of favor. Yeah, my 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 our good friend did the book, the Commissars Disappear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a mixed. I'm involved with groups which are anti-war, anti-Russian war, like the Russian Samovar, and they are being harassed you know, tomatoes thrown at the door, other issues. And I think there's a collective uh, punishment of Russians, which is somewhat different than you're raising, but I think is wrong. And I think there's a kind of cancel culture in that. I I can't speak. I think it's in the, you know, this has happened so quickly. It's only two and a half, three weeks. Maybe it will change in Bayonne. But there is a fury. There's an anger. Do you remember Freedom Fries and what Uh, happened uh, after uh, Iraq? I mean, that has um, I, that has uh, remind. I've thought about that every day since this sort of uh, blacklisting of anybody with a, a Russian name has begun. And that's been very hard because I know many Russians who are against the war. Good, good people. You know, the person who coined the term "freedom fries." You may know this story. Was Walter Jones, who was a Republican congressman from North Carolina. He went to so many funerals in his district in the first three, four months of the Iraq war that he turned against the war because it was just so painful to be with the families. So I'm just pointing out things change. But, may you know, the idea of this war, this senseless, brutal war in, in this time is um, very, very hard. Well, it's uh, voices like yours that we need now more than ever. And uh, again, I, I uh, especially uh, what's happened in the last month, I really miss uh, it's being able to speak to your husband, ask him questions, read his work and hear him on radio, see him on television. He was uh, he's really missed when it comes to crises Thank like you. this. Uh, Thank could, you for having me on and uh, well, enjoyed our talk. Thank you. I let's, hope we can do it again soon. Forward. Great. Thank a- you. Absolutely. Uh, Katrina Vanden Heuvel with The Nation.